0: Well, thank you, Joe. Joe taught us that song about two weeks ago in our Wednesday night class, and whenever I heard it, I knew I would be speaking on this today, and so I, 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 uh, I thought this is a perfect one to start off this lesson, and, and so I appreciate you coming and leading uh, that for us. Um, but last Wednesday night, if you saw me at dinner time, we do a dinner on Wednesday nights that everyone's invited to. Uh, I might have looked a little perturbed. I don't know if, if, if I covered it well or, or not, but I was going to cook dinner that night, and I was thinking a uh, good, easy dinner to cook would be chicken tenders and mashed potatoes. And Sam's Club, they have a pretty good uh, frozen, uh, uncooked chicken tenders that that I usually get whenever I cook that. And I went to Sam's, and Sam's freezer section was all sealed off. They must have lost electricity or something happened because you couldn't get to anything in the freezer section. And so I thought, that's all right, I'll just go over to Brookshire's, and I will go get chicken tenders from there. And so I went to Brookshire's, and it wasn't the, the typical chicken tenders that I was used to getting, so I go and I start looking through all the different brands that they have, and there's this one brand that I use, uh, uh, their fajita meat, and I thought, okay, that it says chicken tenders, I'll get those, and I bring those to the church, and I was going to start cooking that afternoon, and I opened up a bag, and in the bag, I don't see a chicken tender, which is a white meat chicken breast, right? We know what a chicken tender is. It's a like a long dino nugget looking thing. <laughs> and I thought, they're not bad. Dino nuggets aren't bad, but it's uh, these are adults that we're cooking for a lot of it. And so I was uh, pretty upset, and I read the bag. I, th- I thought I was getting chicken tenders. And on the bag, it says, chicken tenders. And then in small print, it says, tender-shaped white... Meat, chicken, breast, something like that. So it was a big sham. It was a lie. They were trying to sell me, and they did sell me what I was hoping to get was chicken tenders. And they sold me these things that were long nuggets or dino nugget looking things. And I was upset. And then as I was driving home that night, I started thinking about my lesson this week. And I was thinking, how often do we masquerade our lives to where we say that we're one thing and yet we're living a life that's completely different. We say that we're Christians. We say that we're followers of Christ. And yet, when it's not Sunday morning or Wednesday evening, so often we're living the ways of the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul tells us, we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to be a certain type of people. We were created to look different than the world. We were created to do God's good works, We are created to follow His law. We are created to live a life following the examples of Jesus Christ. And so often, we choose a different life, even though we profess to be Christians. We choose a life that's different than the examples that Jesus Christ gave us. And this isn't a new thing now, it's... Been something that's happening since the beginning of time. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, people have known God's way and they've chosen to maybe worship God a little bit, but also add in the ways of the world. And for so long, we have followed what would be false gods. And back in. The ancient times, there were false gods that people believed that there were actually gods up in the sky. We, most of us have, have studied mythology and we learned about Zeus and all these other gods out there. And we know of them as false, but what did the people do at the time? They believed in these gods because they wanted what these gods could help them with. So maybe they wanted rain, or maybe they wanted food, or maybe they wanted children, or whatever the case that they were wanting, they looked to God or their false gods for help. Now we think about that as mythology today, but we still look for false gods in our life. So what would a false god be? A false god is a promise that this world tells us that only God can deliver. A false god is a promise that we believe in. We believe in the things that this world is going is to fulfill our life, give us this happiness in this promise, but only God can give us that. And so sometimes we put false gods into money. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's certain relationships that we have in our life. We provide these false gods in our life and we prioritize them over our God. And we allow that to corrupt our relationship with our God. And so the promises that we were looking for in all these things of the world aren't going to deliver. They're not going to have anything that can benefit us because they're not of God. Psalm chapter 121, verse 1, this is our theme this summer. It says, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In today's lesson, we're going to ascend a mountain where we find the one true God. We will ascend a mountain. On this journey of life, all of us are ascending some sort of mountain, right? Theoretically. We're, 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 we're climbing up. We're, we're on this journey. And we're striving to meet some sort of happiness, some sort of joy in this life. And if we're going to meet God, we're going to find that eternal happiness. We're going to find the joy that he gives us while we're here on this earth. But a lot of us are sending this mountain to find something else, something completely different than what God offers us. And we'll find that we're putting our faith and our hope in something that isn't even real. Today's lesson, we're going to go uh, back to First Kings, chapter sixteen, verse twenty-nine. And in First Kings sixteen twenty-nine, we learn of a new king named Ahab, and Ahab was married to this woman named Jezebel. And most of us, the, the, these names might might ring ring a little bit of a bell. It, they, they are they are two people that did more evil in the sight of the God than any other king or queen before them. In 16 verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Azza, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. This is the first king that started killing God's prophets. It's the first king that, 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 that pushed out God's, uh, god's ways and, and, and ushered in these false gods. These gods that are known as the Baals. These are gods that uh, Baal means, means master. And these false gods would control their lives. And take them away from the true God. And so one of the things that God does is he has these people that go out and speak to the king to get them right on the right path. And he raises this guy named Elijah. And in verse 17 we see who Elijah was. We don't have too much of a background, but it says Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and in, in, in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah is told to go to the king and he's told to tell him that if you want the blessings of a false god, you're going to get the blessings of a false god. And what can a false god give you? If they don't exist, they can give you nothing and God is going to give them exactly what they're looking for. As we sang these songs this morning, our second song, uh, it, it, was, it was wonderful talking about how it was this God of the heavens that through everything that he did, everything was made. This world that we live in, the breath, we, the air that we breathe, the rain that falls on the land, all of that is blessings from the one true God. And if the people didn't want to follow God, he was going to show them what life would be like without God. And for three years, the land was going to shrivel up. And they were going to live in drought. But Elijah, during this time, God is going to prepare him. And God sends him off to a place where he does find water. And God cares for him each day. And Elijah grows closer and closer to God. And he, he gains more and more faith in who our God is. And after three years, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and says, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. After three years, the land is in ruins. The land is becoming desolate. And Elijah is going to go to Ahab. And hopefully, Ahab is seeing what a life looks like whenever he chooses not to follow the one true God. But Ahab's not happy with Elijah because Ahab is going to blame Elijah for what's happening in this world. And so, when Ahab sees Elijah, in verse 16 it says, Ahab went out to meet Elijah, and when he saw Elijah, he says, Is that you, troubler of Israel? Look at what Ahab's doing. Ahab should know, as the king of Israel, he should know that it's, he will be blessed if he serves God, if he follows Him, but if he turns from Him, he knows that those blessings will not be there. This was a covenant that all of the kings of Israel had with God. And Ahab is going to blame Elijah for his troubles. And isn't that what we do so often? When we've ruined our relationships with others because of our selfish acts, when we do things that, 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 that we know we shouldn't, when we're lazy, when whatever the case might be, don't we often blame others for our troubles? Don't we blame others for our problems? Don't we sometimes blame God for Why are you not taking care of me? This is exactly what Ahab is doing, but Elijah is going to answer him and tell him exactly what his problems are. Elijah says in verse 18, I've made no trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. What Elijah's telling him is, this is why Israel is in the state it's in. This is why you're in a drought, is because you're not following me. You're following these false gods. And I believe at that time, if Ahab would have listened to, to Elijah, this is exactly what God wants him to do. God wants him to go and talk to him. And if Ahab submits to God at this time, this land would have been restored. But much like us, Ahab stays hard-headed, and he chooses not to submit his life to God. But God has a plan for him. God wants to show them that what they're putting their faith in, what they're putting their hope in, are just empty promises that only the one true God can deliver. And so Elijah says to Ahab, Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So Elijah is going to have a showdown between God, the one true God, the Lord, and the Baals. And this isn't something that Elijah comes up with himself as we continue to read. We'll see that this is something that God commanded him to do. So Elijah isn't about to make a showdown to put the Lord to the test, but God has told Elijah to do this so that he can show that there is only one God, and that he is the Lord that we should put our faith in. This is for the people of Israel then, and this is for us today. So why did he have a meet him on Mount Carmel? If you look at what Carmel means in Hebrew, it uh, doesn't mean caramel. Like I think that's what I always thought every time I read it, so something nice and sweet. It's not even spelled the same. It's a little different. But Carmel means a garden, a lush garden or a vineyard. And why he told them to meet him on Mount Carmel is because Mount Carmel was in the wettest region of all of Israel. It's the wettest region there today. If you see up there, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a picture of the actual Mount Carmel. And so as all these prophets are going up there, they are going to see even the most lush mountain that they have has been a victim of severe drought. When I was in Greece last year, uh, I, was, I was riding in the bus and I was uh, sitting next to a Jamaican guy who came on the trip with me. And this Jamaican guy is looking out at the cities of Greece, and one of the things about this, the big cities in Greece is uh, the people, they, graf- they graffiti everything all over the city. Everywhere that you look, no matter what shop it is, they are going to spray paint graffiti on it. And I'll never forget uh, what, what the, this, this Jamaican guy is looking at. He's like, he just can't believe how they would graffiti all of this City, And he tells me in his Jamaican accent, which he says, Oh, man, there's no place spared, man. No place spared. I'm sure I butchered that. But that's what I think about whenever I thought about Mount Carmel. The place that should be the most lush and green. Not even it was spared. And so this is where God... Wants to show his power. He wants people to see that even their most lush region has no blessing without God. So Elijah tells the people in verse 21 How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah wants the people to realize that they have one true God. And our God loves us, and he cares for us, and he gives us blessings, but he also gives us the choice that if we don't want his blessings, we can walk away from it. Our God loves us, but He's also a jealous God. and He's also a God that believes in truth. He is truth. And the people, it's not that they're pushing God totally aside. They're kind of dabbling a little bit in, in God, and they're dabbling a little bit in the gods of the people around them. And Elijah says, you can't continue to waver. Some of your versions say, you can't continue to limp in between these two. You've got to make a decision. If we look at current events today, back in April, there was a company that made what is being called the worst advertisement campaign in history. And most of us know about this it's it's the it's the Anheuser-Busch corporation and one of the things that they decided to do is they wanted to increase their base. And so they look at at, at who is not buying their product and they decided well let's 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 get with this social media influencer it's controversial to a lot of people. He's part of the LGBT community and 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 they said, let's do a campaign with this guy. And as they do this, their base gets pretty upset. And starting in April and continuing today, there's this big boycott of this campaign, of this, of this company. But the, other, the problem is, the company decides that they're not going to apologize for what they did or they're not going to say that they were wrong for what they did, but they also aren't going to continue on with the campaign and they're not going to apologize to them for putting them through it. And so now the people that they were trying to reach out to including the person that they that they started the campaign with are now speaking out against them. And this company is just sitting there and they won't make a decision on who they want to serve. And their cells have plummeted. And they're struggling. Now, I don't really care about that company or too much of what they do, but it makes me realize that we've got to make a decision. Are we going to serve our God, or are we going to choose to waver just like the people of Israel did? Because wavering doesn't help us. Wavering brings us into drought. A drought in our life. A drought in our joy. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. Or you'll be, desp- be devoted to one and despise one- the other. And Jesus at that time is talking about money, but this could be about anything. Anything when we put our priorities over God. We're climbing this mountain for happiness, for joy, and hopefully at this mountaintop we're going to meet with God, but so many of us are climbing this mountain to meet something other than God. We're meeting these false gods in our life. So Elijah gives the rules for the showdown. He says in verse 22, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but... Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all of the people said, what you say is good. Elijah should be at a huge disadvantage. It's 1 verses 450. This is their mountain. Baal is known as the storm god or the god of the heavens. He's the god that should be in control of of lightning and rain and all of this. He should easily be able To answer the people's call. In verse 26, it says So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom. Until their blood flowed, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. There was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. They were looking for these false promises to come and help them. And they were met with silence because when we put our hopes in someone or something that isn't the one true God, that's exactly what we're going to get, silence. And so they began to dance around frantically. And why were they so frantic? Why were they cutting themselves? They realized if their God wouldn't answer them, they've lived their lives putting their hope in something that wasn't real. And how often do we dance around in this world? looking to fulfill dreams that we have for ourselves and finding that at the end of those, we find no true satisfaction. We don't find our joy. And we're left with empty promises. Well, God doesn't call us to cut ourselves and jump around and dance, but God calls us to humble ourselves. And Elijah shows us how he reaches out to God. It says, Then Elijah said to the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. This is a place where they would go and they would worship God, but they had now torn it down in place of false gods. And Elijah takes twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And he stacks these 12 stones, even though at the current time, Israel was divided, but God is showing what a true united Israel should be. It says, with these stones, he built the altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed, and he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour on it the offering on the wood. And he had them pour water until it was totally soaked. Why did he do that? Why did he make it so hard? Because he wanted it to be seen that only God could bring this fire from heaven could bring the sacrifice, could show that he was the true God. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. So he wasn't coming up with this stuff. He wasn't trying to test God. God asked him to do all these things. God called him to do this. And he is now listening to God and following God's direction. He says, answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord or God and that you were turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up all the water in the trench. Through his simple prayer, through his, through his humbleness, he calls on God and, and God sends a display of power. So what do we do with a story like this? What do we do with this in our life? We've got to believe that there's one true God. And in order to do that, we've got to throw off all the false gods that we have, all these false idols that we have, things that are keeping us from our Lord. Throw away all the priorities that we have that, that, are, that are not bringing us closer to God and follow what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We're not going to be perfect in this life. We're going to believe in false promises. But what's to, what, what, what it's telling us? So we've got to shake off these things that are keeping us from ascending the mountain to meet with God. We've got to take off all the things that that are keeping us from God and realize that God is the only one that's going to give us the true promises of eternal life, the true promises of joy in this life. And we need to respond exactly how the people responded when they saw God's power, when they saw His majesty, when they realized He was the one true God. The people in verse 39 said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's not just say the Lord, He is God, but let's make Him our Lord. Let's throw away everything that entangles us. Let's not believe in the false promises, but let's follow Him. Let's not masquerade as Christians on Sunday and live like the world on Monday. Let's make a decision on this mountain to follow the one true God. You can make that decision today. You can be baptized into him. You can make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. If there's anything we can do to help, please come while we stand and sing.